0: Welcome to the podcast. My name is Father Bill W. I am an Episcopal priest living here in Austin, Texas, and I've had the gift of recovery uh, through the program of Alcoholics Anonymous since December the 27th of 1972, and for that, I am very, very grateful. The idea behind these podcasts is to go uh, deeper into the history of AA, history of the 12 steps, uh, and uh, also to kind of touch on some of the psychology and the the spirituality that underlies the steps. Uh, It's kind of get behind things and look a little deeper. Uh, That's what I I try to be about. And um, I would encourage you, if you haven't done so already, go to our website. It's called Two-Way Prayer, and it'll teach you a little bit more about the background of a, a prayer process that they did back in the Oxford group, out of which AA emerged, and uh, that carried over into some of the early days of the program, but kind of got lost along the way. So I discovered that about 30 years ago for myself, and it was absolutely life-changing for me, and uh, I know a lot of us struggle with prayer and meditation. So check it out if you haven't haven't done so already, and I hope you will give it a try. We're doing a series now on uh, Robert Johnson's book called inner gold and johnson uh was one of my teachers i I never met the man personally when i started trying to go deeper into what what recovery is really all about carl jung's work was offered to me by people who I, i trusted and knew and but i found uh jung difficult to to read and get to understand and johnson opened those doors for me so he's a you can feel that i think or sense it through his writings and he's got some things on youtube that you can check out as well he passed away uh, several years ago so no longer with us but continuing to have his influence so we're going through his book uh, inner gold uh, in the first episode we looked at what, what is this thing called projection how is it that we we take some of the finest and and sometimes the uh, most difficult parts of us, and cast them on to other people. Uh, he focuses primarily on the good stuff, the gold that is within us, the the beautiful per- persons that we are and yet can't see. I've, I've worked with alcoholics for many years, uh, including myself. And this is the probably the most difficult thing uh, for us, uh, to forgive ourselves, to love ourselves, to take uh, the gold that is within, to own it, O-W-N, own it, and, uh, and to then become the gift to the world that each of us is meant to be. That's, that's what this, this book is about, and I hope it's helping us uh, understand that process a little more deeply because we give it away uh, and then we feel this terrible emptiness uh, inside. In the second half of his first chapter, what we're going to cover in this episode, things tend to get a little bit more focused on the spiritual. Again, I I don't usually read nearly as much as I am doing in in this uh, series, but Johnson's such a a good writer, and it's kind of like having him as our guest and allowing him to convey his own words and thoughts to us, because I think he does it better than I could ever uh, do myself. So I'm going to pick up about halfway through chapter one. Lee has little sub, subtitles in, throughout his works. And uh, this one is titled entitled Gold is Close to God. He says, one reason we hesitate to carry our own gold is that it is dangerously close to God. Our gold has God-like characteristics and it is difficult to bear the weight of it. In Indian culture, There's a time-honored custom that you have the right to go to another person, a man, a woman, a stranger, and ask him or her to be the incarnation of God for you, the image of God. There are strict laws governing this. If the person agrees to be the incarnation of God for you, you must never pester him. You must never put a heavy weight on him. It's weighty enough as it is. And you must not engage in any other kind of relationship with that person. You don't become friends and you don't marry him. The person becomes a kind of patron saint for you. J. Krishnamurti was a wonderful man. Lots of people put gold on him. One afternoon, he and I uh, went for a walk in California. And a little old lady was kneeling alongside a path. We just walked by. Later, he told me, she has put the image of God on me. She knows what she's doing. She never talks or asks anything of me. But when I go for a walk, she somehow knows where I'm going to be. And she's always there. What was most touching was his attitude. If she needed this, he would do it. This is the original meaning of the terms godfather and godmother. The person is the carrier of godlike qualities for you. Nowadays, we think of a godparent as the one who will take care of us materially in case our parents are not able to see it through. But the original meaning was of someone who carries the subtle part of your life, parent in an interior Godlike way. It's a wonderful custom. Most parents are worn out just seeing their child through to physical maturity. We need someone else who isn't bothered with authority issues like, how much is my allowance this week? Being a godparent was originally a quiet arrangement for holding a child's gold. When I was 16, Two years after meeting Thor, talked about him in the first episode, I desperately needed someone like that. So I appointed a godmother and godfather, and those two people saved my life. They knew instinctively the duties of this need, and they fulfilled them. My godmother died when I was 22, and I wasn't ready to give her up. It was the most difficult loss of my life. I was forced to take my gold back before I was ready. My godfather lived until I was in my fifties. And by then I was ready to let him go. I love the idea of godparents. Sometimes young people come circling around me and I bring up this language. Do you want a godfather? If it fits, we work out the necessary rules. You may have this out uh, of me And you must not ask that. These are the old godparent laws. It's a version of the incarnation of God in Indian custom. I think uh, there's a certain immaturity that uh, we carry over into our adult life. We're, 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 We're trying to play the game. We're trying to succeed. We're trying to look good, trying to do all those things. And yet a part of us maybe is not quite ready for that. A part of us is not, not quite mature enough. I was thinking uh, when I was reading this, this section of the, of the book of, of Bill Wilson, his own immaturity, his own difficulties in growing up. And it, it centers on um, what he was expecting from other people, pe- dependency that he put on them but it was unconscious. Had he been more conscious, aware of what he was doing, he might've saved himself a lot of uh, depression. So this is, this is just a little, um, little side note here. It's from uh, a 1958 uh, grapevine article that uh, Bill wrote. And I'll put it again in the show notes for you. Not, it's not too long. But he says, he says this, he was asking about why my depression? And he wrote, my basic flaw had always been dependence, almost absolute dependence on people or circumstances to supply me with prestige, security, and the like. Failing to get these things, according to my perfectionist dreams and specifications, I had fought for them. And when defeat came, so did my depression. For my dependence meant demand, a demand for the possession and control of the people and the conditions surrounding me. He took him 20 some odd years to, to recognize what was going on. And he underwent a lot of uh, help with a couple of psychiatrists that I'm aware of and worked on these uh, Childhood issues that that we all carry over uh, into recovery. And, And these are the deeper lessons that we need to learn. This next subsection is called Sometimes Gold is Dark. He writes, I love India, but being there can be challenging sometimes, even dreadful. During one visit, I nearly sank in the darkness. An Indian friend and I went to Calcutta. He wanted to see his father who lived in a politically sensitive zone near the city where foreigners were not allowed. So I said, please go, I'll stay in Calcutta while you visit them. My friend tried to help me get a hotel, but there were no good ones. So I ended up in a sleazy hotel in a dark part of town because he was so anxious to see his father. Once he got me settled, I encouraged him to go. Within hours, A woman on the street thrust a dead baby into my hands. Children with amputated limbs poked their stumps into my ribs begging for money and lepers and corpses were lying in the streets where I walked. It was too much for me and I didn't know how to get away from it. Normally I would just go to my room and hole up. As an introvert, that isn't difficult for me. But my room in that hotel had paper thin walls and someone was actually dying in the room on one side and people were screaming and fighting in the room on the other side. There was a night long political rally in the square outside my window. I just couldn't take it. I had more in me than I could hold and I started falling to pieces. Gold comes in many varieties. Sometimes your gold is bright, but at other times it is heavy and difficult and seems anything but golden. I had no friends and no telephone and couldn't cope. Then I remembered the custom I'd witnessed with Krishnamurti. I needed to ask someone to be the incarnation of God for me. Someone with whom I could share my burden. I went to a park nearby to look for a candidate. After standing still and observing many people for about 20 minutes, I selected a middle-aged man who was wearing traditional Indian garb. I felt a particular respect for him. He walked with great dignity. I continued to watch him closely. Finally, trembling, I went up to him and asked, sir, do you speak English? Yes. Will you be the incarnation of God for me? It was the second sentence I spoke to that man. And God bless him, he said, yes. I told him who I was and how frightened and burdened I was feeling. And that I was unable to stand it. I poured out my misery. And he just listened without saying a word. Finally. I wound down and apologized for splashing all over him. I felt so much better. I had my feet under me again. I thanked him and then I asked, and who are you? He told me his name. I said, yes, and who are you? He said, I'm a Roman Catholic priest. There are very few Catholic priests in India and I had picked one to be the incarnation of God for me. He had listened, heard, and understood. Then we bowed to each other and went our separate ways. Because he did that for me, neither of us will ever be the same again. He did exactly what I needed with a grace and dignity that lives with me to this day. You know, sometimes, uh, oftentimes, actually, uh, life just becomes too much for us. And we need to pour our souls out to somebody. And if you're blessed to have somebody who can uh, be the incarnation of God for you, you're very fortunate. Uh, But be careful. Don't put too much onto a sponsor or a friend. I kind of believe uh, in my old age now and having done this for 30 years that this is what two-way prayer is about. Uh, opening myself up uh, to the image of God that I can conceive, and I pour my heart out, uh, and I ask for the help that I need, and, and I receive it back. And as I receive it back, <laughs> somehow <clears throat> the gold that that I have such a difficult time seeing, it just starts to shine a little bit. I, I did a workshop uh, just the other day. Uh, a couple of hundred people on a two-way prayer workshop. And many, many of them read their, read their prayers and they heard back. God, a, a good number of them just cried at, at the beauty of the language coming back. And, and what was going on? I mean, th- God was, was, was showing them the gold that they couldn't see. And it is a beautiful thing. And in, in the presence of that beautiful thing, uh, many of them just uh, went to tears. And that's what uh, Johnson did in the episode in, in India. He says, I'm astonished by the enormity of the transfers of gold I watch every day. It goes on everywhere. Often when I give a talk, for example, I single out someone and speak to him, putting gold in his lap. I do this to nourish myself. I used to think, what kind of adolescent imposter am I? But one day I was lecturing with Mary Louise von Franz, one of Dr. Jung's foremost disciples. And she cheerfully said, "'The only way I can lecture is to find somebody I like and talk to him.'" What a relief. Occasionally after doing this, I tell the person, but mostly I don't. Generally, we don't exchange gold well. And much of our depression and loneliness revolves around misunderstanding this exchange. One reason we have difficulty letting people go, letting our children leave the house, letting people die, is because we have transferred our gold onto them. Whenever there is a luminous quality, there is gold. We cling to people who are the repositories of our gold and won't let them loose. If you cling to someone and cannot function when she isn't around or let her go when she is dying, it probably means you have put gold on her. It's understandable that you regret the loss, but difficult as it is, you can reclaim your projection and allow her to depart. Part of growing up is that it's really all an inside job that we naturally put our gold onto people, cling to people. It's what we do, but in time and as we're ready to handle it, we need to take it back. Otherwise we can stay in a very dependent and unhealthy position. So, I mean, what the Buddhists say is, do not cling. Uh, Easy to say, (laughs) but, but we do cling. And so the next best thing is watch yourself clinging and get to understand what it is that's going on. This next little subsection is called Investing in the Church. He writes, in olden times, people used to put their spiritual gold in the church. These days, that takes place less and less. This is unfortunate. The church would be an ideal place to put our gold. But it is difficult to make it work. I know I've tried. 30 years ago, he says, I grew tired handing my gold to people who would vanish the next day. The Catholic Church has always appealed to me. I didn't grow up Catholic and never joined the church, but I'm of a temperament to appreciate it. So I chose a lovely Catholic church in Los Angeles, a copy of a Spanish Baroque church, a beautiful building with fine sculptures. One afternoon when no one was around, I went in and kneeled before the Virgin Mary, pouring out my gold. It was going well and I was pleased. Then I saw that the halo above her head was a neon tube. I don't know why, but that wrecked it for me. And I haven't been back to that church since. We need to keep trying. We need to find places we can invest our spiritual gold today. <clears throat> um, I, I can relate to Robert uh, with this uh, if I'm doing a lecture or or a group group uh, therapy session or something, and there, there and there's um, fluorescent lights in the room, I go crazy. It's, it's like this isn't going to work. You know, we need the atmosphere. We, we this is sacred space, and we need to kind of know what it is that's that's about to happen here. And if it's false, uh, it makes it very difficult. Next section is called God is out of his box. I've probably read this one eight or 10 times. It's one of my favorites. He starts off saying, this may sound like a joke, but it's not. God is out of his box. In olden times, God lived in the tabernacle on the altar of the Catholic Church, and the priest held the key. God was locked in, and the rest of us were locked out. There was safety in that, but now the box is broken and God is loose. No one knows what to do about it. I'd love to read a history a hundred years from now to see what we're going to do. There are wondrous possibilities, but if we don't succeed, the consequences could be dreadful. God is high voltage. And if you get more than you can stand, as I did in Calcutta, you need help immediately. We can't lock God up again. We can't put him back in the box. In former times, the Catholic priest performed the benediction at five o'clock on holy days. He would bring out the monstrance, a mandala shaped stemmed device with glass on both sides. He doesn't mention it, but I remember these days, I'm I'm that old, uh, and it was also made of gold. He says the priest would put the host, uh, the communion host, place it between the two pieces of glass and hold the monstrance by the stem using his stole so he wouldn't touch it directly. This is, this is high voltage stuff that he's handling, so he's got a, a stole wrapped around his shoulder. He picks up this, uh, this monstrance, what they call it, and uh, placing the communion host in, in between the glass uh, with, with rays uh, coming out the sides of it. Eh? Uh, then he would turn and, quote, show God to the congregation. Johnson says, those days are gone. God is not in his box or in the monstrance. He's out and firing all over the place. The eruption of alchemical gold is one of our chief signs of this. Alchemical gold can be your best or it can be your worst. In India, God is still in the box. In this respect, India is a beautiful peaceful place everyone knows exactly what to do there are laws for everything and the priest still has the key to the box if you need to know something you consult the ancient myths or ask your guru or your father god is penetrable and there are answers it's like the old catholic world where there was a right way to do things and a priest to tell you what it was It's not possible for us to go back to that. We no longer respect authority in that way. We can't get God in the box again. And it isn't clear that we can survive his being out of the box. It is like a 10,000 volt power surge getting into the household wiring and blowing out the circuits. These are desperate times. We have to create our own forms and our own differentiation. And we're not prepared to do it. When Jesus says, quote, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends, unquote. we can hardly bear it. We may be pleased for a moment, but suddenly we feel as though we weigh five tons We can't carry all the weight, even though it is ours and always has been. With God out of his old box, what vessel might contain him now? All psychological powers need a tenemos, a boundary, a container. Until recent times, the container has been authority. But today, we tear authority down. The tidal wave of accusations, the cry for blood, is us discrediting our own gold. We point our fingers and say, it's their fault. The only container that can conceivably hold the power of the mystery today is our own consciousness. We've pulled God out of his objective collective containers and swallowed him into our own psychology. Now we need the consciousness to manage this. So far, we are not succeeding. Big Book says the great reality is within, you know. Pause, meditate on that. Uh, God is within me. And I need the consciousness to be able to hold that. All right. To chew on that, to meditate on it, to soak in it. As an old friend of mine used to say, it's just soak in it. You know, God is not out there. He's within me. You know, there is the gold. All right. And it's mine. It's my gold. And now take responsibility for that. Um, I call you friends. What does that mean? What, What burden does that to grow up, to be mature? Next section, take inwardly what is inward. This is an important one. All affect, feeling, emotional response, all affect is interior. Any emotional impact we experience is inside us. If someone were to denounce me, spreading all the gossip and defamation he might find, I would probably wither. It would weigh me down. But the withering is my interior matter. If you hurt my feelings, it is an interior matter for me. Book says what? spiritual axiom. Anytime we're disturbed, there's something wrong with us. Bring that one to life. Next time you're disturbed, there's something wrong with you. All right? Isn't there any any, any, any uh, justifiable? No. There's always something wrong with you. Do- doesn't mean you can't respond. Doesn't mean you can't take action, react. But if it's overwhelming me, If it's crushing me, if it's killing me, there's something wrong with me. Johnson says, if you accuse me of having green hair, that won't bother me. It's not true. But if you announce that I was rude yesterday, I'll have to duck. If it has an impact, it means there is a war inside me you set it off. But what you set off is my business. Anything that can burn in a person should burn. Only the things that are fireproof are worth keeping. If you can hurt my feelings, they are better off hurt because it's an error in me. wow, (laughs) watch, (laughs) watch, watch myself, watch the ups and downs of my emotional affect and see what's really going on at the deeper levels of self. You know, this, this is what, what he's telling us to do. He says to take inwardly what is inward is a great art. I'm getting better at it. I don't get my feelings hurt as much anymore, but there are still things that make me wince. That means there are things inside me I haven't dealt with yet. One of the most powerful realizations we can have is that all affect is interior and needs to be understood and worked on in an interior way take your inventory, watch yourself. Uh, Step 10, admit when I'm wrong. Hardest work of recovery is arriving at the place where I can really begin to do that. I mean, yeah, sure, we do it in our fourth step. And that's a start, you know? But if I'm not living step 10, continue to take personal inventory. And when we were wrong, when I gave away my gold, when I reacted because... You hit something in me. I must admit it. I must admit it. If I'm going to grow, if I'm not going to admit it, I'm going to push it down and, uh, and stay stuck, like Wilson stayed stuck for 22 years until he began seeing what it was that he was doing. If someone has your gold, or even if you just think they have taken your gold, and then they displease you. You might become furious. Knowing what is going on at a deeper level can save you from that kind of suffering. You have no right to be dependent on anyone or jealous of them. You have no right to be lonely. My saying this won't cure you in a day, but it might be the beginning of a cure. Dr. Von Franz nearly knocked me over when she said, shyness is just arrogance, unquote. I'm the shyest person on earth, Johnson says. She spoiled it for me. Last little section, reclaiming our projections. When we find ourselves clinging to someone, Caught in the unconscious grip and illegitimate demands on him or her, it is difficult but possible to let go. Dr. Van Frens helped me with this when she said, don't behave as though your projection is a dog you can whistle home anytime you want it. The next time you ask someone to carry your gold, make the effort to know what is going on. Stay in contact with your own gold as you put it on someone else. If you ask her to carry that numinous glow-in-the-dark quality for you, understand that doing so will obscure her from you as a person. Naming the process helps. It's the beginning of consciousness. Why do I have such a strong feeling when I look at her? Do I really see her? Do I love her? Or am I in love with her, putting a bell jar of numinosity over her, which obliterates her from my sight? People of late are recognizing their love addictions, their codependency. I mean, these are the things that eat us up yeah, we stop drinking, we, we, we stop doing the outward actions. But inwardly, am I saying, I need you to save me? Because what's also going on is, and if you don't, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> that part, we're not, we're not nearly as aware of. The first part seems to come first. But the second part is tremendously insightful. Because what you start to see then is, uh, I'm still a little kid. I'm still emotionally immature. I'm still expecting you to take care of me. And if you don't, get ready for a temper tantrum. And I may not even express it outwardly, but inwardly, volcanoes are, 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 are erupting. You know, this is the work. This is, this, these are the lessons. This is taking responsibility for my gold. He concludes... We're rarely conscious of what is going on and our gold is bouncing around everywhere out of control. Alchemical inner gold, our most precious possession is sputtering on the street. We barely understand how much of what we perceive in others and the outside world are actually parts of ourselves. Please observe the energy investments you make. The exchange of inner gold is occurring all the time. Try to be conscious of it. We cannot contain it in traditional ways. We need to create new language and new ways for increasing our awareness. Uh, Wilson concluded in, in his little essay, said if we examine every disturbance we have, great or small, We will find at the root of it some unhealthy dependence and its consequent demand. Let us, with God's help, continually surrender these hobbling demands. Then we can be set free to live and to love. We may then be able to gain emotional sobriety. Inner gold, I really encourage you to pick up a copy. It's it's under 100 pages. I think you'll see it's just kind of chock full of wisdom and insights and directions to help us live a better, more full and rich life. So I hope this was uh, interesting. Forgive me for for reading so much, but Robert's a a great writer and, and was a great man. So again, thanks for listening. God bless and keep coming back.